This is The Talking Dead, a podcast dedicated to the AMC TV show, The Walking Dead. Hello, everybody. My name is Chris. And my name is Jason. And this is The Talking Dead, number 107 for Monday, March the 11th, 2013. Um... And uh, I'm happy to be here. Are you? Are you happy? I am happy. You're happy to be here. I am, as always, back in the same room together. We're not recording over the Skype this week. Nope, no Skype. Good, to, good to do that. Um, Skype is fine and all, but it just adds an extra level of complexity to the whole setup that I don't particularly enjoy. Oh, really? I kind of liked being at home and uh, having and casting pod, as well, we say. Do you want to do it at home from now on? Well, I don't know. I was thinking about, you know, maybe for next season we might uh, do more Skype stuff. All if right. I could set up a proper recording studio. Like, I didn't like the audio. I mean, I'm sure that uh, a lot of the listeners didn't like the audio. The audio is much better here. Yeah, that is true. So if we could figure out a make, way to make the audio as good, then I, I think we might explore that as an option for some of the shows. All right. All right. I could get on board with that as long as uh, as long as we can do it right. Yeah. Okay, well, um, with that in mind, I got a here. I've got a holiday for you this week, Jason, that cool. I think you're really going to appreciate. Oh no, I'm all excited. Today is World Napping Day. Oh. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? Oh, I just you know, I'm really, I really like that, and I'm just sad that today would will not include a nap for me. Yeah, unless you have a really quick one after we do this, but then you go home right, you know, but right before. I can sleep on the bus. That's true. I got a half hour bus ride from here to go home, so I could sleep on the bus. Uh, world, uh, nas- sorry, national napping national. day. Which national, na- which nation? Well, I'm going to read the description here okay. from Mahalo.com. National Napping Day was founded by Boston University professor William Anthony and his wife Camille in 1999. Oh. Napping Day is an unofficial holiday set aside to help people adjust to daylight savings time and to promote health and productivity benefits of napping. It's going to my calendar. It is always the Monday after the spring forward. Yeah. No, it, it's going in my calendar. I think it's a great idea. It is. I was listening to the radio uh, on the weekend, and they were discussing daylight savings time and the effect it has on people. Yeah. Apparently, for a couple of weeks after the spring forward, heart attack rates go up yeah. due to, well, they, they, they figure due to people's slight uh, sleep, loss of sleep from hmm. that one hour that we lost. Um, traffic accidents go up too yep. in the first few days yep. after daylight savings time. So, I think um, William Professor William Anthony and his wife Camille were onto something here, and maybe taking a nap on Monday afternoon if you can after daylight savings time kicks in is a good idea. I think it's great. I think you should pause the show, and we should have a nap. Uh, no, I don't think no, so. No, you don't think so. No, there's enough room on the couch for two people. Yeah. Well, not cuddling. We then, cuddle. then my wife will come downstairs and be like, I thought you guys were podcasting. Well, we are, but it's World Napping Day, so or <laughs> National Napping Day, so we have to observe. Yeah, I guess so. So if you still can, folks, or when you hear this, it's going to be too late, but you know what? Have a nap tomorrow. Why not sleep while listening to this? Uh, don't do that. Because I've done that. I've listened to audiobooks or podcasts while fall, and then fall asleep. You go back and catch up, though, right? Uh, depending. Depending on the book. If it's yeah. an 80-hour book, you know, you miss it 20 minutes, you're not going to miss much. Well, yeah. <laughs> Sometimes when I listen to Twit, I fall asleep. Yeah, that Leo is pretty boring. Well, you know, you can miss a couple of stories and the world's not going to end, right? No, that is very true. Okay, in other news, before we get into the show here, we promised 
um, well, you know what? We didn't promise anything at first. We just, I threw it out there you at did. the second half of season three that I'm hoping we could get to 10,000 likes on Facebook before the end of season three. Right. And then I said, no sleep till 10K. That's right. And since it's napping day, it's appropriate <laughs> to have a nap now and sleep a little because we passed 10,000 likes last night. That's awesome. Isn't that amazing? What are, are you looking? What are we at right this second? Uh, we're at a binary number. It's uh, 10111. That's very exciting. So if it were binary, 10111. <laughs> uh, binary, two decimal. This is fascinating. Let's find stuff. out how many binary uh, we have. Or how many decimal numbers or how many listeners we have. 10,000. 2,310. All right. <laughs> but in actual numbers, 10,111. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we've passed 10,000. Now, last week, um, a listener from Florida sent in a call or called in. I always say sent in a call. It doesn't make sense. Uh, she called in, and unfortunately, I couldn't catch her name on the on the message, so I apologize. I can't give you a shout-out, listener in Florida. Um, but you gave us the idea that when we hit 10,000 to do another live call-in broadcast. Yep. So I went over to Facebook, and I let everyone know that this is going to be the plan for when we pass 10,000. Now that we have, we are here to officially announce our next live call-in show. I'm excited. When is it? Well, it is going to be uh, April the 6th at 5 p.m. Eastern Time. Sweet. So April the 6th is the first, is basically the week after the season three finale. Normally, we would record an episode a couple of days after that on the Monday. But instead, what we'll do is we'll record on a weekend day. So, you know, people, you know, aren't at work as much. Some people work on the weekend, but, you know, a lot of people will be having their weekend. Mm -hmm. We're going to do it at 5 p.m. Eastern on Saturday because that's really the best, I think, time worldwide that gives people the best chance of being awake and available to do it. Right. If we were, if we did it later, then, you know, the uh, people in the UK would be the middle of the night. It would be different in Australia and so on. But 5 p.m. Eastern is 2 p.m. on the west coast of North America, of course. That's good. 10 p.m. in the UK. So a little later, but not too bad. That's nice. And it's 7 a.m. in Sydney, Australia. Now, I know that's early. Uh, but they're, they're, I guess Sydney, Australia, if you want to listen to a, a live show in North America, you've you got you to be used to that kind of thing. You're probably used to it. And it's a Sunday morning in Australia, right? So get up early. So get up, get a cup of coffee, have a nice, quiet Sunday morning, and listen to a couple of dorks on the internet. Fry talk some about eggs, stuff. put a little bacon on the plate. It's going to be a good time. Uh, that'd be nice. What we'll do is we'll have people call in again, same deal as last time, and we'll think up something to talk about. It will probably most likely be, you know, what you thought of season three. Right. Or maybe your favorite thing from season three, something like that, just so you have something to think about um, before before then and, and have something to say when you call. So 5 p.m. Saturday, April the 6th, 5 p.m. Eastern time, that's 2 o'clock on the uh, West Coast. 10 p.m. in the UK, and 7 a.m. in Australia. Uh, that's Sydney, Australia. Unfortunately, I didn't check if there are more than one time zone in Australia. So it could be 7 and 6 or 7 and 8 in Australia. I don't know. Could be anything, really. Yeah. Around that time. Uh, we'll. Uh, you, you presumably know what time it will be where you are. <laughs> I, I hope. <laughs> 
Go online uh, and figure it out. So that's cool. That's going to be really fun. A huge thank you, of course, to everyone who liked us on Facebook and Mm. who thought this was a great idea. A big thank you to the listener in Florida. Once again, I apologize. I don't know your name. But if you are listening and you hear this, you you were the person that called and suggested it. You were the only one. So give us a call back and let us know. We'll give you a shout out. And uh, Or just wait and call in on that show. That would yeah, be really fun, that too. That would be fun. Now, I have a slight correction. In binary 10111, uh, I was given bad information. The actual decimal number is 23. Oh, that's it, eh? <laughs> that's it. Well, I'm glad that we're not using binary. I'm glad we're yeah. using decimal. Right, we, have, we had our 10,000th, 11th-1st like. There you go. I took some screenshots of 9,999. 10,000 and 10,001. Riveting. I know. It's Riveting a, screenshot. It's amazing, amazing stuff. Yeah. All righty, let's get into some Walking Dead news. Okay. The Walking Dead News. Okay, really, it's just the ratings. And again, last week I promised that we would go back to I Ain't a Judas because I didn't have the chance to look up the ratings last week. So we have the ratings for I Ain't a Judas first. That came in at 11.01 million. Wow. Not bad at all. That's a 5.7 in 18 to 49. If you add the 9 p.m. and the 11 p.m. broadcast, the total is 12.91 million wow. for Ianda Judas. So holding strong there. And then last week, the ratings for Clear, 11.29 million, which is, uh, and it also got a 5.7 in the 18 to 49 demo. And if you add up 9 p.m. and 11 p.m., it came to 13.75. So uh, not quite a million more, but almost a, another million jump up cool. for Clear. Amazing stuff. Yeah, that's fantastic. It's, you know, I I sometimes can't believe these numbers when I look at them because they're so much higher than, like, everything else on TV. A, a fantastic show like Mad Men gets, like, 2 million. Wow. <laughs> you know? Walking Dead is pulling in 13. Zombies are very popular right now. Very, very popular. You know, I saw an article on the internet today, just the headline. I want to go back and read it, though. Sure. And apparently um, uh, the popularity of zombies increases or peaks when things like the economy aren't doing so well. Really? Or, or various other, you know, social factors like that. So people turn to zombies for comfort, it seems like. So when the economy is doing really, really well, we get like My Little Pony and stuff like that? That's right. We go back to Strawberry Shortcake. Teletubbies. And and the Care Bears. Yeah. (laughs) Sounds pretty sweet. (laughs) On the other end of the scale, it's zombies and probably vampires. Yes. (laughs) So there you go. All righty. Moving right along, we're going to get into our recap of this week's episode. Arrow on the doorpost. Doesn't that work better, having that's a bumper nice. there? That's Isn't very that nice. nice. We, uh, we, threw a, a, uh, we threw a shout-out uh, last week or a couple of weeks ago for, um, for a new voiceover person. We had somebody we were using before, and uh, you know we, we haven't done, done that in a little while. But I didn't, it didn't feel right not having an intro there between yeah. the news and the recap. So listener Larrick wrote in said he is a retired radio announcer, and he said he'd be happy to let us uh, or record some uh, some bumpers for us. So cool. that is the first one. And, uh, Larrick, I think it sounds really great. So yeah. I will be in touch uh, just for fun. I can play it again. Arrow on the doorpost. Really attacked that ST Ooh, on the awesome. on the end of the on the end of the word doorpost. Oh, I like it. <laughs> All righty. So arrow on the doorpost. Now we open up with a straight top-down shot on some grain silos. I think they were. 
Uh, there was some kind of uh, silo type thing, yes. Silo type farming equipment silos. Um, the loudest vehicle in the zombie apocalypse pulls up along with a car. That's right. And that, of course, is Daryl's motorcycle. The Merle's. Uh, uh, Merle's motorcycle. Daryl's just borrowing. Okay. Daryl's riding the motorcycle. Yeah. Rick, Herschel, and Daryl are there. Rick and Herschel are in the oh, car. Mer- Merle can't use it anymore. He doesn't have a right hand. He can't use the throttle. Uh, I guess it's Daryl's now, then. I guess he'd have to duct tape his post to the throttle, which I'm sure he would do. Oh, he would do, yeah. yeah and then figure out a way to not twist it. That, that, might, uh, that must be tricky for him. So I guess it's Daryl's now. It, I, I would think so. It's probably difficult to ride a motorcycle with one hand. Yeah. Uh, at least constantly. It, it's not that hard to ride it with no hands once you get up to speed, but it's getting up to speed that's the problem. Yeah, it's like a bicycle. Once it's going straight, it tends to keep going straight. That's why you can ride a bike with no hands relatively easily. Yeah, I used to ride my bike while standing on the handlebars in the seat. That is ridiculous. You know what, though? I read once that scientists don't really understand why a bicycle will continue upright with... um, If you jump off a bicycle, for example, while you're going, the bicycle will continue straight and upright until it slows down enough that it falls over. Yeah, centrifugal force. Yeah, but I read that scientists don't really understand how that works. I don't think they understand. I don't really think that scientists understand electricity either. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, well, Personally. I've, I've heard arguments that electricity doesn't really exist. Oh, so. I, I believe that. I think it's magic. I think they're just using this electricity thing as a uh, an explanation to keep the masses uh, at peace. So they don't freak out that magic is real. That magic is real. Well, talk to my kids. They believe in magic. Well, my father-in-law is an electrician, so uh, as far as I'm concerned, he's a wizard. <laughs> Have you told him? No. You should. That'd be hilarious. He's a wizard. I don't want to tell him that. Yeah, you don't want him to know you know. That's right. All right, we're like three seconds into the episode, and we've talked about <laughs> electricity, uh, riding a motorcycle one-handed, and wizards. Yeah. All right, let's get back to it. Moving on. <laughs> so Rick and Daryl get out of their respective vehicles. Herschel stays in the car, I guess, to keep watch. Um, and Rick and Daryl make their way around the silos, very um, uh, sort of aware and alert of what's going on around yep. them. At least that's what they're going for. Keeping their heads on a swivel. That's right. They get around the silos towards a building. Daryl keeps watch outside, and Rick enters the building. No. Inside, Rick comes face-to-face with the governor. The governator. There he is. Uh, The governor puts up his hands, smiles like a nice, big, friendly smile, and says, we have a lot to talk about. Yes, they do. And we go to the opening credits. Mm -hmm. Now, when you watched this cold open, what were your thoughts? Were you thinking, what's going on here? How, How are we at this point already? Uh, no, I actually don't think I was thinking anything. I think I was just kind of like, they're going to explain this. You fell asleep, didn't you? No, I was <laughs> okay. awake for the whole thing, and uh, I, don't, I just don't think I was wondering what was going on. I think I suspended my uh, curiosity, and I knew that all would be explained in the fullness of time. My first thought was, oh, we're seeing the end first, or we're seeing like the middle first, and we're going to now jump back and see how we got to this point. My brain usually doesn't try and figure things out as it goes. I just let the story be what it is. Right. Uh, That's, I guess, a a valid way of watching stuff. My wife is completely the opposite. She'll have things figured out. She's like, he did it 10 minutes into any show. Right. Well, she's pretty good at that Murder mysteries, usually. Yeah, well, no, I was thinking, okay, we're seeing, we're, we're flashing forward here. We're seeing like the middle or maybe the close to the end of this episode. We're going to go back and see how we got to this point. Right. Um, but that's not the case. When we come back from the credits, 
We are with Rick and the governor, and they're talking. The governor says that he could have killed them all during the attack on the prison, but he didn't. He made a special point to, to say that. What a dickhead. Yeah. Well, he's so friendly. He's just so charming and friendly. Yeah. Um, but Rick raises his – he gets upset. He raises his gun, says uh, – and uh, the governor says he'll remove his weapon and put it down to pr- prove that he wants to negotiate in good faith. Mm-hmm. Right. After a minute, Rick lowers his gun but refuses to take off his holster like the governor did. Good. Uh, the gov sits down, and the camera pans down to a gun taped to the bottom of the table. Yep. There it is, just in case, I guess. Good faith, my ass. Yeah, that's right. Uh, we go outside, and Daryl and Herschel are talking, and suddenly Martinez, Milton, and Andrea drive up. Uh-huh. And Andrea didn't. She gets out of the car, and she didn't know that the governor was already there. Which is weird. Which is a little bit weird. Did she think she was in the advance party? Like, what? what's going on? Uh, well, why wouldn't... Yeah, if he wasn't with uh, them in the car, like, he's either, you know, late or or already there. So yeah. I guess she doesn't really know what's going on. Um, but we find out, she goes inside, and uh, we find out that she arranged this meeting. Yeah. She wants them to get together and talk about some stuff. Um, the gov said, the governor says they all know everything about each other and he just wants to move forward. Right. They start talking about, you know, sort of everybody's different party and what's position they're at. And the governor's like, we know everything, all this, let's just get on with things yeah. here. Um, throughout all of this, he is the most charming, friendly sounding, happy looking, smiley guy ever. Yep. He has got that role nailed. Yeah. It's pretty, uh, it's pretty solid. It's extremely solid. And I almost like, you know, I, I'm a viewer. I know what he's capable of, but I kind of buy into what he's selling at that moment. Really? I do personally. Yeah. I've seen him do this before and I'm like, boy, is he ever good at that? He is good at it. You know, (laughs) Uh, outside, the guys are talking, and uh, Daryl calls Milton the governor's butler, which I thought yeah, was that was awesome. Was really really funny. Yeah, was funny. Even Martinez got a giggle out of that. Yeah, got a laugh out of that. That was good. Um, things get a little tense because you know these are competing teams here, uh, but Herschel calms everything down. Yeah, we're gonna be uh, we're gonna be at, e- at each other's throats pretty soon, so let's just relax right now, and we'll kill each other in you know ten fifteen minutes. Yeah, exactly. If things go south inside, you know what's gonna happen here. So let's just take it easy for a minute, yep. guys. Everything is good. We cut over to the prison though, and Glenn and Maggie are there, and they're organizing their weapons. And Glenn is planning for prison defense. Mm-hmm. He's just putting, he's telling people to put bullets in or ammunition in places so that you don't run out. Playing with their big pile of guns. It's a huge <laughs> pile of guns. That run they did last week really paid off. It didn't seem like they took a whole lot, but they must have filled that car to capacity with uh, baby carriages and uh, ammunition and firearms. I guess so. Now, they also probably had a bunch at the prison. Yeah. But still, yeah, there were a lot of guns and ammo on that table. There sure were. I have a feeling they're going to need them, though, so uh, that's okay. Now, Merle sort of steps up here, and he suggests that they go to Woodbury and kill the governor. Yes. He's like, they won't see us coming. Just a couple of us can go. We'll go. We'll take him out. Everything will be fine. But Glenn, Maggie, and Carl is there, too, and they all disagree. Glenn says it's not the right move because it puts the negotiating party in the crossfire. Yep. Puts them at da- in That's danger. True. That's right. So we cut back to the negotiating room, which I'm going to call it from now on, yep. where Rick and the governor are. And 
Rick and Andrea suggest a east-west side of the river boundary. Apparently there's a river, and the prison can have one side, and Woodbury can have the other side. Is that the river that uh, the Dixon brothers crossed on that bridge? Oh, I would imagine that's the, probably that river. The Yellow Jacket, uh, what was it called? I think it was Yellow Jacket yeah. River, yeah. Um, ooh, something like that, maybe not. Second-guessing myself. Anyways, that's probably the river. And the uh, the governor says, no, no, we're not going to do that. I have come here for one thing only, and that is your surrender, your complete surrender. Right. So he's not quite as friendly at this point, but he still clearly knows what he wants. Yes. Your surrender. Um, the governor asks Andrea to leave. And uh, Rick agrees because they both feel like you are unnecessary yeah. now. <laughs> and uh, they sit down at the table. Martinez closes the door. So we just have the two leaders sitting in a room together at the negotiating table. Yeah. Yellow Jacket Creek. Oh, okay. Called. I looked it up and was mostly correct. All right, good. Um, I don't remember if they mentioned the name of the river in this episode. I don't think I th- they did. No? Okay. So it could be the Yellow Jacket. Either way, it could be another one. Uh, Martinez closes the door, as I said, and we go to commercial. When we come back, we are in the negotiating room still. Mm-hmm. Rick is telling the governor that he has a responsibility to his people. And the governor is sort of saying the same thing, but he's blaming Merle for the Glenn and Maggie stuff. Yeah. He's washing his hands of it, saying, I didn't really do that. You know, Merle is a, a blunt instrument, and he can do get the dirty jobs done. Yeah. He's Such got, as that. He's got a toolbox full of tools, and they're all hammers. That's right. Merle does. That's Merle, yeah. <laughs> yeah and they're all hammers. Um, now, Rick, I mean, Rick knows what he did to Maggie. He knows that the governor was involved in Maggie's humiliation and yeah. and so on. Um, but the governor is just trying to say, no, no, it was Merle, or, you know, he did all that. I had nothing to do with it. Um and Rick calls the governor the town drunk who knocked down his fence and ripped up his yard. That was a great analogy. I think so, that was too. fantastic. Because literally he knocked down his yeah. fence and drove all over his grass. Why should I care about you? You're the town drunk. You busted my fence and dug up my yard. Yeah. It, and, you know, I think both uh, both men here, both characters here, had some good points and some good lines. Yeah. You know? And they're trying to push each other's buttons. Well, absolutely. As the next scene or or the continuation of this scene shows, the governor talks about baby Judith and how it's probably Shane's. Yep. And he tells Rick he failed to see the devil beside him yep. all that time. And Rick says, oh, I see him all oh, right. Oh, I see him. This is so good. I, good line. I loved it. Um, very, very good line. And I, I, I got to say, I really enjoyed all of the scenes between these two guys in this episode. It was very, it was good. very well staged. But before we get more, we go outside. Uh, Milton, is, Milton is out there, of course, with everybody, and he suggests that they take this opportunity to talk about the issues themselves. Yeah. Instead of just standing around staring at each other, why don't we sort of see if we can work something out by committee here yeah. rather than let those two guys who are, you know, all ego-driven in there not get anything done. Right. Um, and uh, he also reveals that he's recording all of the events for historical purposes. Yeah. Interesting idea. I thought somebody's got to write it down. He's an archivist. That's right. He's a little bit like you. A little bit. <laughs> um, Herschel agrees this is a good idea, but then they hear zombies. So they have to abandon that discussion and go and deal with the zombies that are making their way through the grain silos. Yeah. Or whatever those are. Yeah. Um, now, Daryl and Martinez and Andrea go to kill them. 
Um, they uh, Andrea takes the first one out because yes, because um, Daryl and Martinez are kind of standing there having a pissing contest about who should go first. I thought it was more of a Chippendale thing, the, the squirrels or the um, the chipmunks. Uh huh. No, after you. No, please, I insist. After you. No, no, no. After you, please. Right. Uh, maybe, but they weren't really getting the job done. So. Well, no. I mean, Chippendale would have take. 10 minutes of discussion before any one of them would go through the door and then go through together. Of course. <laughs> so rather than sitting through all of that, Andrea took the reins and said, screw you guys. I'm going to take one out. I'm going to take one out. She gets a really nice knife through the eye socket. Stabby, stabby. A good. It it harkened back to when she put the the screwdriver through the RV inspector zombie's face. sure did. Face. Um, but after that, Martinez and Daryl get things going. They all get some good kills in. I wouldn't really say anybody comes out on top, except Daryl does get the last kill just as Martinez is about to strike. So he yes. kind of steals that one from him. Yeah, with a, with a thrown knife. A thrown knife. Pretty cool move. It come was on. pretty cool. Now, he, you know, Daryl was, both. they were both trying to show each other how awesome they are. Yeah. Is really what they were doing. It, uh, you know, um, wagging their you know, you know what's in front of each other a little bit. <laughs> uh, yeah, metaphorically. <laughs> metaphorically. <laughs> um, units. Wagging their units. There you go. Uh, now, Daryl finds some smokes on a dead walker, and him and Martinez share a bonding moment Yeah, with the uh, as they're, you know, talking a little bit. And Martinez reveals he lost his wife and kids to walkers. It's true. They were menthol cigarettes, right? No, 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 no. Martinez first turned one down, and he said, I only smoke menthols. Oh, I see. I, see. I thought it was, uh, I thought he said, no, they're menthols. No, no, no. He, Martinez says, I only smoke menthols, and Daryl just goes, douchebag. <laughs> well, I feel bad, because I smoked menthols for years, right? <laughs> yeah, douchebag. <laughs> <laughs> I quit. There you go. Um, he uh, So Martinez talks about his wife and kids, and he also says to Daryl that he just thinks Rick and the governor won't work anything out. And they'll just end up killing each other anyways, yeah. as in both the groups will end up killing each other. And at that point, he decides to have a cigarette. Yeah. And I thought it was really, really nice to see these two guys who are who essentially provide the same role within their respective groups yep. come together and have this little bond, Oh, everybody in this, uh, this, this group of people were paired off rather nicely. They really, really were. With Andrea being the odd man out. Yeah, and that says something, actually. Yeah. Speaking of pairing off, though, uh, Milton and Herschel are then talking about how Herschel lost his leg. Yeah. Here we have you know, the doctor and the scientist, or in some ways they're both doctors yeah. and or scientists. And uh, Milton asks to see his stump, but Herschel jokes that he has to buy him a drink first. <laughs> and they all have a good laugh. They do. So we've got uh, these characters pairing off and coming together. I really liked the... Um, the uh, the way they did this actually in the episode to yeah. show the similarities more amongst the groups than the differences. Yeah. I laughed because uh, the actor, what's his name, uh, was uh, arrested for drunk driving. Shortly, probably shortly before this. So. Oh yeah, that's let's right. all have a drink and then maybe go drive the cars back to the prison. Yeah, well, you know, luckily it may have happened around the same time in in the real world, but luckily this episode comes many months after that. Yeah, so yeah. But we go back into the negotiating room. The men are uh, now having some scotch, which the governor brought. Mm -hmm. And they're talking. Is Rick drinking too? No, he's, well, he poured him some, but he hasn't had a drink yet. Right. Uh, They're talking about how they appear as leaders and what makes a weak leader. Mm -hmm. Obviously, neither of them want to come off as a weak leader. No. Because that doesn't work. Uh, The governor says they don't want to kill everybody they know. 
and he tells Rick the story of how his wife died in an accident pre-zombie apocalypse. Yep. Now, this is already something we know because he mentioned it to Andrea before, but this is the first time, of course, Rick is hearing it. Right, yeah. And I guess we're getting much more detail this time of how the governor was feeling and how the events played out. I didn't really believe this to be the truth. You don't think so? No, I think he knows that uh, Rick's wife died in the prison, and I think he was manipulating Rick uh, to his own ends. Yeah, I absolutely agree. This was the uh, this was the single like I absolutely loved this scene. Yeah, loved it. It was the single in my mind single most evil thing the governor has done actually because of the way. Because of the level of manipulation, yeah. right? He knows Rick's wife died, and the governor's talking about how, you know, he, he was at work when he got the call. She'd left him a voicemail earlier. He never called her back, so he never got to talk to her again, never find out what she wanted. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and Rick is clearly, clearly extremely emotionally affected by this. Yeah, he's upset. You know, he's upset. He's starting to break down a little bit. And at this is the point when he picks up the scotch to take his first drink. And the governor, you know, the camera kind of focuses on the governor through Rick's hands drinking. And you can just see the look on his face like he knows he's starting to break this guy a little bit. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, it was amazing. It, it was, was one, very, of my, very good. one of my favorite scenes of the entire, entire show. Just both actors were spectacular. And, uh, you know, the, I, I guess the governor is testing Rick to see if he can make him drink that scotch in some ways, you know? I don't know. He's just he's just a big ball of manipulation. I think he's trying whatever he can to push whatever buttons he can yeah. uh, in order to, you know, get an edge against uh, this guy who's obviously a tougher, you know, man than, uh, than the governor. And I think he knows that. Rick is tougher. Yes. Yeah, well, I guess, you know, in his line of work and so on, you, you kind of have to be a little bit, but... I just, I almost see the drink though as like the the test of it all. It's like here, have some scotch. Rick is Rick is never going to agree to the man's to drink the man's whiskey, right? Because yeah. it almost shows like you know coming together sort of. And Rick is very standoffish, but the governor through his words gets him to take that drink yeah. and completely dominate poor Rick in this scene. And I loved it. I thought it was amazing. It was good. Loved it. So we go back to the prison and. Glenn is uh, standing there cutting a hole in the fence to shoot through, I guess. Yep. Strange, strange. Blowtorch. No, thing. it was it was a cage. It wasn't wasn't just a fence. Well, it was I know. a very very fine cage so you couldn't get a rifle barrel through it. So he's making a, a port in order to shoot through. Would a cage like that provide any protection from incoming fire? Absolutely not. Not at all. No. Okay. And I don't think that was the point. The point like there's a door, a big metal door there that would be the protection, but I think the, you know, uh, just having some way of firing out of that cage rather than having to, you know, walk through that cage in order to get to a place where you can fire. Right. Because that would just be a, you know, a gauntlet that you don't want to run. Right. Pop out the door. There's already a hole there that you can fire through. Yeah. I mean, up on the up on the bridge, they have those uh, those pallets, those wooden pallets and mm-hmm. the metal tables. Those aren't going to stop a bullet either. They're going to obscure what's behind it and where they are exactly, which, make, you know, makes them a little bit safer. But that's not going to stop a uh, an assault rifle round at all. Okay. But they are doing, I guess, what they can to make defense a little easier. Yeah, yeah. You won't. You don't want to have to open that door and then run without, you know, being shot at without having a, a, a way to shoot back. Right. And then have to go through another door and then finally get out into the wide open where you can shoot. By that time, you're dead anyway. Yeah. So, uh, so so Glenn's doing that. He goes back inside, and Merle is there around the table of guns, and he's weaponing up to go kill he the governor. He sure is. Yeah. 
He wants to go and do it. Uh, Glenn and Maggie tell him he can't leave, and Glenn and Merle end up uh, coming to blows over it because Merle says no. You're not, uh, Glenn says no. You're not leaving. Right. Well, I don't know if they come to blows. They come to rolling down the stairs. Well, they were fighting. They were or wrestling. Okay, fine. They were wrestling. <laughs> uh, things are getting out of hand, though, and then Beth steps up, fires a shot into the air yeah. to calm the situation. Deafens everybody. Didn't no, have a line no in the episode, but deafened everyone with a shot That's into right. the air. Yeah. I liked it, though. The look on her face was good. It was good. You know, she was not taking any shit, saying, you guys need to smarten up and settle down. Jeez, I hope the baby wasn't anywhere near Oh, God, that baby's going to have no... Well, if it was asleep, it's probably not anymore. No. And uh, hopefully it doesn't have any hearing loss. I hope not. Um, we cut over to outside the negotiating room. Herschel goes to chat with Andrea, and Andrea asks, you know, what happened with Maggie, and the governor just says he... Or uh, Herschel just says the governor is a sick man. Yes. So without, in so many words, he kind of, you know, told told her what he did. Um, and Andrea at this point says she can't go back there to Woodbury. Herschel's response is that she should join Team Prison again, but if she does, it's settled. and She has to stay with them. Yeah, prison up. <laughs> prison up, that's right. Uh, so I got an email here now from a listener, Lori, and this was her holy crap moment, but I thought I'd read it right here because I think it is relevant. Um, she says, of course, my holy crap, did you see that moment has to be when the governor mentioned Rick's new haul of guns and ammo. This means that Mr. Blake has a spy in the woods around the prison keeping tabs on Rick's group. But does it also mean that they tracked Rick to his hometown and now know about Morgan? Is Morgan now in peril? Yikes. Uh-oh. So what Lori here is referring to is back inside the negotiating room, the governor reveals to Rick that he knows they brought back a good stash of guns the other day. Mm-hmm. So how does he know this? Other than uh, Laurie's theory of a spy following them around or just spying on what they're doing. Well, they would have to be a spy, but even a spy wouldn't know unless they saw them either loading or unloading the guns. Because if they were just, you know, left the prison for, you know, eight hours, 10 hours, 12 hours, whatever, and then came back, I assume that they unloaded the guns in an area where you couldn't really tell what was going on. Well, they drive into the inner fences of the prison area, right? And, like, that's pretty hard to see. But you could have binoculars or something. You think there's an area where, uh, you think they unloaded the guns in an area where it could be seen from the woods? Um... Well, I mean, what are they going to do? I, I don't know. They could drive the cars, I, I guess, inside those those big red doors, yeah. and that's probably sheltered from view, but maybe they didn't. I don't know. Because if you drive in through the second gate, you go through the outer gate, then the inner gate, and then there's uh, underneath the bridge, and in, in that back area, there's like a parking lot or an area. If they unloaded in there, you wouldn't be able to see anything unless you were right inside the prison. Right. The only other option would be to actually see them loading the guns when they went to and went to find Morgan. So it's plausible that we have someone who's tailing them, watching them do stuff. Right. Interesting. But tailing someone for that long is dangerous because they did stop for 10 minutes, right? When the, uh, when the hitchhiker ran that, you know, four minute mile to get up that hill. Yeah. Uh, you know, if a car was following them, he would have shown up. Uh, yeah, you'd think so. It's pretty difficult to follow someone when there's no other traffic on the road and not be noticed. That's true. Right? Yeah. So is there any other possibility here of how the governor knows they brought this giant stash of weapons back? Uh, drones. 
<laughs> flying reconnaissance drones? Okay, um, probably not that. Well, he could. I mean, he raided a couple of army barracks, or you know, he's got some army. And equipment. he's got military drones. Sure, yeah. it's drones. Uh, I don't know. I can't really think of another way. And I'm satellites I'm, are still spinning around the I, planet. I'm not even a hundred, like I'm not even a hundred percent sure if maybe we're missing something in that, of course he knows that they brought the guns back. I don't know. It, well, it's, the only thing I can think of really that makes you know perfect plausible sense is that they unloaded the guns in an area that could be seen from the woods with somebody with binoculars. Right. And maybe, you know, everyone assumed that way back in the first half of the season when Carol was doing her zombie autopsy or zombie C-section practice, right. someone was watching her. And everyone assumes that was Andrew, the prisoner that yeah. Rick locked outside. Including us. Including us. We did a poll on Facebook. Everyone on Facebook thinks it was Andrew, pretty much. Yep. <clears throat> Maybe there is someone in the woods spying. Well, they didn't have any contact with the governor at that point, at the beginning uh, when she was trying C-section stuff. No, that's true. But you know what? The governor did know the prison was there. They were aware of it because they knew that they didn't, or they didn't think it was worth trying to clear out. Well, he wouldn't have somebody watching it in that case. Yeah. Maybe not. No, you wouldn't think so, but I don't know. Maybe the governor somehow got wind of something going on there. I mean, he sends out scouts. He sends out parties for supplies and so on. Maybe someone came across them and has been watching them ever since. Yeah, maybe. And uh, we just haven't been privy to that. Anyways, it's interesting. The governor knows that they have all these weapons, and uh, at this point, the governor decides that this conversation is pretty much over, I think. Yeah. So he stands up. He puts his uh, belt back on, his holster— and he tells Rick that he has something he wants. Yeah. And that something, Rick assumes it's the prison or or he wants them to leave. Yep. But the governor tells him that that something is Michonne. Mm-hmm. And as he says this, he takes off his uh, eye patch. Eye patch. To reveal the hole in his eyeball. His cross-haired eyeball. <laughs> That's right, his cross-haired eyeball hole. He's got a built-in reticule now. <laughs> So he says, turn over Michonne, and all this goes away. He wants his revenge on poor Michonne. Right. Big time. We go to the prison, though. Merle tries to convince Michonne to come with him to attack Woodbury. He says they'll use some old hunting calls to warn his brother, and he can alert the others. Yeah. Interesting plan, I thought. Yeah, not bad. You know, having a little semi-secret language that only your brother will understand Mm -hmm. in the form of hunting calls. And uh, he says that Michonne can go shogun on the governor. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) Take him out. But Michonne turns down the offer and says, you're on your own, buddy. You ever read Shogun? Nope. You should. It's a really good book. All right. I will put that on the list. Uh, Glenn is on, he's outside watching the walkers from the bridge. Maggie comes out and they talk about their relationship issues. They've been having some issues since they got back from Woodbury, not really uh, coming together as a couple. And they work everything out, which is nice to see. I'm glad to see them happy again. Yeah. And then they start making out, which is awesome. And uh, Glenn doesn't like the walkers watching them, so they move inside <laughs> and end up having some prison floor sex. De-robe. So they de-robe for some dirty prison floor sex. Yes. Uh, so I thought it was very unprofessional of someone on watch to have sex, and they didn't even go to the guard tower. You know what? That's the thing. It used to be the advanced class. Now it's going to the guard tower. They didn't even do that. And the problem is it seems like everybody on – your best chance to get laid in this universe is go on watch. Yeah. Regardless of where you are, someone's going to, like, come to you and want to do it. Now, 
you can't knock dirty floor sex. There's a time and a place for dirty floor sex. <laughs> I'm not knocking it. I'm just describing it. Right. You know, there's a time and a place for guard tower sex, and there's definitely a time and a place for the advanced class. Yeah. But uh, dirty floor sex can have it, uh, does have its place in the universe. I just thought it was unprofessional of them to have dirty floor sex while on watch. Not the right time is what you're no. saying. I mean, they, they got into trouble the last time nobody was on watch. That's when the governor attacked, or at least when that guy snuck into the guard tower. Yeah. They have a nasty habit of nobody being on watch. Yeah. Their, their, their track record for people being on watch is horrid. You know what? I think you get you have a prison. I think you get comfortable. And you're like, oh, we're in a prison. What could possibly go wrong? They know exactly what could go wrong. Well, they do now. You know, a couple of weeks earlier, maybe, they would have been like, ah, nothing's going to happen. Axel can... and Carol were on watch looking in the direction of the bullet that came and shot Axel in the face. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> and uh, they were doing it in the guard tower, too. At least we were led yeah. to imply. Yeah. So go on watch. You might have some sex. Yeah. Uh, we go back to the negotiating room. Rick is asking uh, why the governor wants to waste his time on a vendetta against Michonne. He says that killing her is beneath him. Mm. So now Rick is trying to manipulate the governor a little yeah, bit. Yeah, and doing it correctly. This is the right way to do it? Well, yeah. If you want to get somebody to do something, you uh, you hold them to a higher standard. Have Give them something to uh, to live up to. And, you know, saying that... Saying that you know you want revenge, you could have a statue in the town square, and you want revenge. This is so beneath you. Live to a higher standard, right? Right. But the governor doesn't buy into this. No, because he's a vindictive jerk who uh, he doesn't want to actually lead anything. He just wants to be in power for power's sake, and power for him means revenge. Yeah, I guess so, but I don't know. I also I see him as just more strong-willed than Rick. Like, he was able to manipulate Rick earlier with the story about his wife dying, and Rick totally, totally broke down. Yep. Or at least internally totally broke down. The governor, you know, Rick is trying to do this, this same thing to him, and the governor just responds simply with, you can save your son, your daughter, and everyone you know. It's your choice. And that's it. And uh, Rick questions why he should trust the governor, and he tells him, uh, and he tells him that he'll agree to the river separation yep. if uh, if he brings if he surrenders Michonne. Right. Um, the governor says to think about it. He'll be there in two days at noon, and they walk outside and leave. High noon. Yeah, high noon in two days. Time for a showdown. It's going to be awesome. Now, Andrea chooses, after even after saying earlier to Herschel that she cannot go back to Woodbury, and Herschel yeah. giving her the open door to come yeah. with them, she gets back in the truck with the governor and goes back to Woodbury. Dumbass. I can't go back there, except for right now. <laughs> yeah. She, boy, I don't know. She really, really doesn't know what she wants. She's trying hard. You know, she's trying. She set this whole thing up. Yeah. Because she wants to avoid any more bloodshed. But still, like, man, I, I thought for sure she was going to get back in with Rick and Herschel and go back with them. No, she thinks if she can broker a deal, then she won't have to go back. She's waiting for the deal to actually be done. And so she can stay in Woodbury or go back to prison? She can go back to the prison. Okay. Through. Yeah, I don't know. Well, it, I, I don't see a deal happening here. So well, she's she gotta, does. She's got to make a decision. Yeah, I guess she still does. So we get uh, the gang arriving back at the prison, intercut with wood, uh, people 
um, the governor and his crew getting back to Woodbury. Yep. The governor tells Martinez to position gunmen around the perimeter of the town and open fire if Rick and anybody shows up, but to keep Michonne alive. Yeah. So regardless of whether they turn her over or not, he wants Michonne. Yep. Um, Milton accuses him of setting up a slaughter. Yeah, he said if we if we don't kill them, it's going to be a slaughter. It's like, well, that dude, that is a slaughter. That is a slaughter. Milton grew some nuts here, and he stood up for himself for a little bit. A, a little bit, yeah. He's warming up to Herschel is the problem. Yes, he is. And See, Martinez is warming up to Daryl. I know, and this was absolutely brilliant about this episode. Yeah. Uh, but um, but the governor also said thanks Andrea for setting up the meeting. And uh, he tells her that they set up some terms and we'll meet again in two days. Yeah. He's very, very positive about the whole thing to Andrea. Interesting. Yeah. Back at the prison, Rick tells everybody to prepare for war. He doesn't mention the Michonne deal, but instead tells them that the governor wants the prison. Hmm. So he's not being entirely honest with everyone. But he goes outside on the bridge. The bridge, the prison bridge has become our, like, sort of confessional truth booth almost. This is where people go to really reflect yeah. and then say what's on their mind. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, Maggie and Glenn made up out here. Yep. Earlier in another episode, uh, Carl came out and told his dad, take a break. You yep. can't do this anymore. And now Rick's out there and Herschel walks along, comes out, and he Rick tells Herschel about the Michonne offer. This is the bridge between two people's hearts. It's the heart-to-heart -heart bridge. It's the heart-to-heart -heart bridge. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Rick knows, or he says he figures that he the, the governor would just kill Michonne and then probably kill them anyways, but he wonders if maybe this is the answer. This is the solution, he thinks. Yeah. Um, and he also says he didn't tell everyone inside because they need to be scared, and uh, so they'll they'll fight, I guess, eventually. Yeah. Um, now, Herschel says that Michonne saved a lot of people's lives and has earned her place with this group. And uh, Rick says, that's great, I agree, but are you willing to sacrifice your daughter's lives for Michonne? Yep. Tough call. And he says he wants Marshall, uh, Marshall. He Marshall. wants Herschel to talk him out of uh, making the deal. In your face, old man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the episode ends, and there we go. Um, Jason, what did you think of this episode? Overall, a solid episode. We did get a couple of zombie kills. Mm -hmm. Which is nice because mm -hmm. uh, an episode without zombie kills would uh, just be the, the talking people. Yeah, so, but I don't know if that would necessarily be a terrible thing. No, I don't think it would be a terrible thing, and I don't think the uh, the zombie kills were actually uh, not just they weren't. It wasn't tacked on in any way. It was there to help the bonding between uh, Daryl and Martinez. It absolutely had a purpose, which which yeah. was good. I think this was my favorite episode of the season. Absolutely. I would um, I would absolutely 100% agree with that. This was a fantastic episode. I really, really liked it. Um, I also think that this is probably going to be the most polarizing episode for viewers. You think because, so? Because, well, there, are, there is a lot of talk on the internets about, you know, people are like, what the hell? Two episodes in a row now that were kind of talky, sort of boring, nothing happened. And um, so the people who really, really liked the action and the gore and the zombie killing were unsatisfied by this episode. I, on the other hand, loved it. I thought it was just brilliant. It was a masterpiece of storytelling, in my opinion. The way they, the way they set up the two leaders in a room with their henchmen outside and the contrast between the two guys in the room, Rick and the governor, who absolutely hate each other, who can barely 
look each other in the eye and would just prefer to stand up and shoot each other in the face. Yep. Contrast that with, you know, the five people outside who kind of match up, they pair off it and, and come away almost liking each other. Yeah. You know what I mean? Brilliant. Just brilliantly done. I absolutely loved it. Everything about all that negotiating and, uh, I think on the internet they're calling it the summit. Summit, yeah. <laughs> Everything about all that summit was was just awesome. I just loved it. Um, yeah, and it was it showed a great parallel between the groups. It, I hadn't really thought too much about it before, but we clearly have the leader, sort of the right hand man. Yep. I guess Merle was kind of the governor's right hand man at first, but Martinez has stepped into that role. Oh yeah, for sure. And I loved ha- I loved that Martinez finally had some lines. Yeah, you know? I was expecting him to die by the end of the episode because <laughs> we got more insight into him, right? Yeah. And I thought that as soon as we got insight into into Martinez, a little bit of backstory, and as soon as he was featured as a as a as a role, that he would uh, he would eat it by the end of the episode. But that, yeah, it didn't happen, which I'm happy about because I like his character now. Absolutely, I really like the character, which means they're setting him up to die. Well, I hope not. I hope not. I mean, I have a feeling before the end of the season, there's only three more episodes left. There's going to be some death. There's going to be some killing. Martinez is probably high on the list. I'm just speculating. Daryl's got to out. Uh, got to off him. Daryl's Daryl and Martinez is going to be toe to toe, and he's going to feel bad about it, but he's going to do it anyway. That's the thing. How difficult is that going to be now for Daryl to do that when he, you know, he called him a douchebag, but it was kind of in jest and. They 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 bonded a little bit. I think they respect each other to a certain degree. Well, here. I think the Daryl douchebag means I love you. <laughs> it probably does. Yeah. <laughs> Someday he'll be saying that to Carol. That's right. <laughs> douchebag. <laughs> I love you too. <laughs> That's right. Uh, but I, anyways, I just thought everything in this episode was really amazing. I almost could have done with nothing else. Like, don't go back to the prison, don't show us what's going on there. We can figure they're just hanging around counting their ammo and stuff like that. Just stick with this negotiating. Now, I understand that might have been a little bit too much, but I thought it was so well done, and I was riveted the whole time. And my God, David Morrissey and Andrew Lincoln put on a pretty nice performance here. It was nice. Both of them did a really good job. Yeah, a couple of Brits talking in southern accents. Yeah, I know. It's good stuff. I was reading earlier today uh, online that both of them stay in accent when they're not when they're uh, between takes. Oh, good. And if they chat amongst each other in their you know American Southern accents too. Yeah. So uh, I thought that was kind of interesting, but just in this episode, they did such a good job. I I think you know I've I've kind of wanted the governor to really show off his evil side, and this was a really clever way of doing it. Just bringing his level of manipulation to new heights yeah. with his story about his wife and how he knew it would affect Rick and just bring him to his knees emotionally, you know? Amazing, amazing stuff. Good stuff. So, uh, you know, I hope uh, I hope everything from here on in is this good and we uh, we end this season just in a spectacular fashion. Mm-hmm. Anything else? No. Fantastic episode. Uh, all righty, let's... Uh, take a break we've got some music again this week uh listener jaime sent in a tune now if you go to no tv that is his current band called no no tv tonight right but this tune that he sent in 
is from a previous band called Like I Was the Fire. And this comes from don't their EP, Don't Call Me Sweetheart. Mm. So this is Like I Was the Fire with their song Walking Dead. We'll be right back after this. For you, the listeners of The Talking Dead, Audible is offering a free audiobook download and a free 30-day trial so you have a chance to check out the service. It's a special day today, Jason. Very we have special. A, we have a recommendation that fits with the day. A recommendation from the ages. From the ages. From it's, the ages. ages. It's one that we have recommended before, but why don't you let everyone know what it is? All right, so since it's Douglas Adams' birthday, 61st. It would have been his 61st birthday 61st today. 61st birthday. Uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Uh, a great choice. If you haven't read Hitchhiker's, I highly recommend you go and pick it up. It's a trilogy in five parts. So there are five yeah. books. They're quick. They're easy to read. They're absolutely hilarious. And uh, you really can't go wrong. They're all there. They're, they're all on Audible. Uh, we got the Hitchhiker's Guide, Restaurant at the End of the Universe, uh, Life, the Universe, and Everything, So Long and Thanks for All the Fish, and mostly harmless. Finally, mostly harmless. So it's uh, today would have been Douglas Adams's 61st birthday. To celebrate, why don't you go over to audibletrial.com slash talkingdead and pick up The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy or really any of the novels. But start with the first one if you Absolutely, haven't read yeah. it. Um, and he's got some other books too. I don't know if... Um, Turk Gently is on is on there or not. Well, but let's have ourselves a little look-see. Shogun's on there, too. I looked it up. Okay, good. So uh, pick up Shogun while you're at it. All righty. Uh, so happy birthday to Douglas Adams. Go over to audibletrial.com slash talkingdead. That's audibletrial.com slash talkingdead for a free audiobook. Listener feedback. Okay, everybody, it's time for listener feedback. Our first call comes from the chief, 
in Nebraska. Oh, well, good. Here's what the chief had to say. Hi, guys. This is the chief from Nebraska. Just got done listening to your podcast for episode entitled Clear. And you had mentioned that one of the listeners had um, said their holy crap moment was when Carl shot Morgan's wife in the cafe. This intrigued me, so I went back and watched that scene, and they do show Carl shooting a walker as they're leaving the cafe that looks a lot like Morgan's wife, but if you remember in Morgan's speech to Rick when he is explaining what happened to his son, he said that uh, he crawled up out of the cellar Dwayne was there facing his mother. His gun was raised. He couldn't shoot her. His wife was all over Dwayne, and then Morgan finally did it, meaning he killed his wife. Uh, If you remember, he said, I saw red. That's all I saw was red. So Morgan had already put the wife down. That could not have been her in the cafe. I'm sure you're getting millions of calls about this, but I just thought I'd throw that out there. Keep up the great work, guys, and we'll talk to you later. Bye-bye. Thanks, Chief, and he's absolutely right. You went back? I went back, yeah. I watched it third time, and uh, yeah, Morgan says, I finally did it. Oh, well, there it is. It's exactly what happened. So the zombie in the KCC did look a lot like her. I'll, I'll you know, give you that, or give. Uh, I'll throw that out there. But uh, it definitely wasn't her because Morgan managed to do it after, you know, she killed Dwayne. Uh, maybe it was his uh, his wife's twin sister. Long lost twin sister who was in the same town. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Our next call comes from Spencer in Utah. Hey, guys. This is uh, Spencer from uh, Park City, Utah. I was listening to your podcast, and I noticed you said something about the playpen and why they didn't fold it up. I freaked out about the same thing, and my wife quickly pointed out that they were using it to carry a bunch of other uh, kid-like things. Anyway, just thought you'd like to know. Thanks. See ya. Yep, another good, good point. The crib was full of stuff. Oh, that's why it wasn't folded up. Absolutely, and that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. Um, Yeah. It was a palanquin. A who? A palanquin. Absolutely, whatever that is, sure. It's a, you know, one of those things that you carry uh, people on. You know, they're you know usually they're carried by slaves. Oh. Four in the front, four in the back, and somebody like a big th- throne that people uh, carry yeah, on their exactly. shoulders. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that had a name. It does. Well, I'm I, I you know, I'm sure it does. But all right, good to know. Learn something every day. Yeah. Vinny from Cincinnati uh, sent in this call about Andrea's curb stomp. What up, fellas? Yo, it's Vinny again from Cincinnati, Ohio. Hey, I just wanted to call back and talk about uh, Andrea's head stomp to that zombie. Okay, um, we've all known that these zombies have soft heads in this world. Why in the world does his head not just disintegrate when he, she kicked it? All of a sudden, he's got a head made of steel. Hey, come on, guys. That's <laughs> not ridiculous. All right. I expect uh, expect these to be played. I have a large following here in Cincinnati, and they love to hear Vinny on the Talking Dead. All right, see ya. Bye. Thank you, Vinny, and hello to Vinny's following. If you're <laughs> if know. you're if you're out there and listening, uh, that was Vinny from Cincinnati. Andrea's curb stomp. Um, yeah, that. Zom- 
maybe Andrea's done so many curb stomps uh, you know, with zombies and maybe even people before that that she knows exactly how hard to hit them so that their uh, squishy Nerf football heads don't uh, disintegrate. Yeah, well, and then you look at Martinez with the baseball bat in this episode while they're clearing the zombies, and he absolutely demolishes a zombie's head up against one of the grain silos with the baseball bat. Yeah, yeah, that's just, you know, melons. They don't call them melons for nothing. Yeah, I know, but that's, that looked like a pretty soft head to me. Um, but the one Andrea was stomping, maybe that guy had a especially thick skull or something. Or it was a skull made of steel, like Vinny yeah. said. <laughs> so I don't want to harp too much on some of the inconsistencies because you can drive yourself crazy doing that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it is a good point. Everybody else's head just explodes when you flick it wrong. And yeah. Here we got one that can stand to uh, stand up to a nice big curb stomp. Maybe they were looking for a nice hard-headed zombie so that they could properly curb stomp it. Yeah, maybe. That's what they wanted. That's what they were going for. Maybe they passed up like 30, 40 zombies before that one. <laughs> that one's head looks like it's thick. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Paul in the UK uh, about Michonne. Hi, guys. This is Paul from the UK, first-time caller. Uh, love the show. Um, absolutely uh, fantastic stuff. Just really wanted to call in just to say really enjoyed the episode, Weapons Up. I'm a bit behind you guys, obviously, being over in the UK, and I've just watched it tonight. Um, absolutely fantastic. No action, really, to speak of, but the, the character um, change of Michonne, I was just out of this world. I mean, I think she's proper badass anyway, but actually seeing her be a bit more human and showing some more emotion, and um, I just think it's only going to bode well for the for the group going forward. Um, hopefully that trust is growing. Anyway, uh, loads of other bits in, that I enjoyed about the uh, the episode, but that for me was, was the highlight. So thanks a lot. Um, keep doing what you're doing and enjoying the show. Thanks a lot. Bye. Thank you, Paul. Good to see Michonne finally sort of becoming a bit more of a character. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, having her having her show up and do something and bond with the group a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. Finally, for calls anyways, we've got uh, Josh from Maine here uh, with a couple of points. This is Josh from Maine. Just wanted to talk about the last episode. Um, I really think they didn't stop for the hitchhiker number one because he could be crazy. I mean, we saw with Morgan that people who are alone in the zombie apocalypse are just nuts and you don't know what they're going to do. Second of all, he could be part of a bigger group that's trying to ambush them. Um, I think you have to look out for that a lot more. So that's why they didn't stop. Um, secondly, somebody was talking about, I don't know if it's Chris or Jason, was that Rick should have known that there was a prison there because he's a sheriff. I think he did know about the prison. I think he's always known about it. I think they've seen it many times going around in circles. Uh, before season three, I think that they just got desperate enough um, at that point that they figured they had to go in and clean it out. Because um, if you remember, Merle even said that there would be no way they could clean out the prison. Uh, so this last episode, uh, I thought it was really interesting. There was some good stuff. There was some bad stuff. Um, a lot of interesting cuts and angles. Uh, I do, however, think that the conversation between Daryl and one of the governor's henchmen, um, that might have been one of the most best and real feeling scenes uh, in the whole series so far. Um, I thought it was great. Uh, just two soldiers on the battlefield, um, kind of just shooting the shit. Anyway, guys, uh, it's a great cast. Uh, look forward to next week. Uh, three more episodes left. Uh, this is Josh from Maine. Bye. Thank you, Josh from Maine. Um, yeah, and I, that's kind of one of the things I just liked about Daryl and um, Martinez talking, too. It felt, it felt real. Like, they don't yeah. like each other, but... They kind of respect each other. Yeah, they found common ground. 
in the uh, the flashy zombie killing. Yeah, that's right. They and know now, what they're doing. And now they're best friends forever. <clears throat> I guess so. Until one of them has to kill the other one. And it's going to come to that. And it'll be even worse when we have to watch it. Yep. Uh, alrighty. So Greg from the internet sent in an email about the hitchhiker from last week and Rick's attitude to war. And I thought it was a really good email. So I'm going to read it. Greg says, in the first drive-by encounter and later when the group is stopped along the highway, it's as if the hitchhiker doesn't exist. While they were obviously able to see and hear him, there's a collective understanding of self-preservation to ignore his calls and move on. But in the zombie apocalypse, that's a pretty dodgy ethical position. On one hand, the Grimes group is to be commended for not preying on the hitchhiker and for respecting his property, for not killing him and stealing his stuff. But on the other hand, it seemed pretty clear that by ignoring him, the Grimes group was willfully ignoring his plight, in effect, passively condemning him to death. Not as craven as the governor, but still. I think the producers were showing that deliberate indifference to other people's needs, even for justifiable self-preservation, will often yield the same result as a direct homicidal attack. At the end of the day, the hitchhiker was dead and someone else had his stuff. Death by direct assault or death by indifference. Yeah. So really that hitchhiker just couldn't win in the end. <laughs> you no, know? he was he was pretty much screwed. It, pretty much. Uh I think though Josh uh calling in about it and Greg here both have have interesting perspectives and great points. You know, Josh said he's dangerous. If you stop to help someone, you don't know who's waiting in the woods. Maybe he's bait. Maybe you're going to get ambushed. Sure there were 3 of them in the car which who could normally easily, you know, overpower one person if he decides to do something weird but if there's 10 more people in the woods you're uh in trouble yeah so it's a tough call difficult ethical position and uh the safest thing to do is probably just ignore him and move on even though you may be missing an opportunity or condemning him to a worse fate which turns out they were right <laughs> finally we uh i got a a comment on our Facebook page that I just read before the show, and I thought it was great. This is from Derek, and Derek says, The negotiations between Rick and the governor felt like two Han Solos at the same table. <laughs> I was just wondering who would shoot first. Nice. <laughs> I like that. Which one's Greedo? <laughs> <laughs> Who's Greedo? <laughs> yeah, there was no Greedo at that table. No, there there were two Han Solos, two alpha males. Yeah. Right? <laughs> really, really good observation, I thought. I like that a lot. Does that mean Daryl and Martinez are Chewbacca's? Yeah, there are a couple of Chewbacca's. A couple of Chewbacca's. And then what do we got? Uh, what are uh, Herschel and uh, Milton? Well, C3PO's? Uh, maybe 3PO's, yeah. Smart guys. <laughs> and Andrea is definitely not the Princess Leia. No, she's got to be. Uh, who is she? Of this scenario. I don't know. But. Uh, uh, <laughs> the Chewbacca's. I like that. <laughs> the, che the Chewbacca's outside were, you know, getting to know each other. Yeah. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> All right, time for this. Holy crap. Did you see that? We got a call, Steve, from Cambridge with an interesting take on some of the stuff written on um, uh, Morgan's Wall. Check this out. Hey, this is Steve from Cambridge, uh, avid listener, uh, first-time caller. Um, called earlier, kind of got my words jumbled up a little bit, so I'm going to try again. My holy crap moment was the stuff on the wall. Um, if you notice it, I noticed in a few places it said higher ground, 
And then one particular moment, if you read, it said in big letters, I think pink or red letters, um, everyone turns, which is something that Rick uh, said in the walkie-talkie. Uh, I think the walkie-talkie was the first time he had, the first thing he had ever told, or person, whatever you want to say, the first person that was ever told about that once he taught it out from the CDC was that walkie-talkie. So I got a feeling that uh, Morgan might have been hearing Rick's messages but had already gone back crap crazy and didn't uh, put two together. Who knows? He's crazy. And we'll just stop it there for now. But that's the... um that's an interesting idea mm-hmm. that, uh, you know, some of the stuff on the wall kind of was similar to what Rick was saying into that walkie-talkie. And what Steve was trying to say there is that the walkie-talkie is the first time Rick said that everyone turns. Yeah. Um, so maybe Morgan was hearing him. or and he, was, and he was already nuts, and he didn't even know what he was listening to. He seemed pretty adamant about uh, Rick not being there and him being upset about that. True, and you, you're led to believe that that's one of the things that sort of pushes him over the edge, right? Yeah. But I don't know. I mean, if you're already nutso, you know, maybe you just think this magic handheld antenna device is talking to you, and it's telling you things that you should know, that you don't know. I don't know. Pretty crazy. Interesting theory, though. All right, I got another call here from cool. Tyson in California. Hey, Chris and Jason. This is Tyson. I'm from California. You guys have a great show. I was just calling with an oh crap moment uh, from last week uh, from the episode Clear. And our, my oh crap moment with my whole family was when the rat comes running around the side of the bar when Carl and Michonne are trying to clear it. Uh, everybody did the exact same thing, which was a sudden intake of breath uh, from the fear of it. And the other thing I had was if you guys look through the episodes, um, the combat between zombie and human and human-on-human has been the same the entire series. Anytime they're fighting the zombies, they seem to be extremely accurate, but human combat has always been these firefights. Um, I don't know if they're trying to accent how difficult it is to actually kill real people and how easy it is to kill a target that's just mulling around. But you guys are doing a great job. Keep it up, and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you. I think think you've sort of said it before, Jason. Most of the living characters have plot device shields on, Yep. and the zombies don't. No, they don't at all because there's lots and lots of zombies. They're, uh, you know, that when if you kill one, there's always another one coming. That seems to be the case. So we don't have to worry too much about it. Uh, all righty, Aaron from Syracuse wrote in: Dare I call rats on a skateboard fast food? <laughs> <laughs> My holy crap is more of an observa- observation. When Michonne stabs the zombie behind the bar as she draws the katana out, it looked really odd to me, like it was too short. I had to rewind, and it seemed like uh, the end of the sword, or maybe the whole blade, was CGI. Really? Yeah, I didn't really notice that, but uh, interesting that they would go for a CGI blade. I don't know that they've done that before, but maybe they have, because that blade has gone straight through heads and sliced things in half. So. Oh, yeah, that would make sense. And it would also uh, alleviate the, uh, the problem of having an actor with a weapon swinging it at extras. Yeah, true, but I, I'm sure they have a rubber version of the sword. But still. Still, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Unless it's a Nerf sword, it would be very dangerous for uh, extras. Yeah, I guess so. So maybe CGI Blade. I didn't really notice, but that would be interesting. Uh, Peter from Ohio sent this one in, which is slightly spoilery, but not really. It references, it references um, something that 
Peter is guessing at about the season finale. Okay. So it's it's just a guess, and it's not really that spoilery. It's based on some information, though, and the, Peter writes this. I just want to mention something I discovered recording uh, regarding last week's podcast. You guys mentioned that while we probably will not be seeing Lenny James back as Morgan for a while, according to the IMDb, Lenny James is already credited with acting in the season three finale. Wow. So we don't know if that's true. Um, and we, you know, the IMDb is not exactly known as the sort of bastion of all that is correct yes. in information. So what is who really? knows? Yeah, well, there, there, nothing is. It's not this show, I can tell you that. No, it's certainly not. Yeah. So Lenny James is listed for the season three finale. Maybe he will be back. That's exciting. Well, that would be good. I like, I like it, as maybe I said Maybe he'll show week. up and save the day. He, maybe he will. Maybe he will. We don't know how that will play out or for what side he will be on. Ah, also true. You now, he'll be on know. his own side. Oh, uh, he'll be doing his own thing? Yeah. He's not going to be on uh, the governor's side, and he's not going to be on Team Prison. He's going to be on Team Morgan. He'll just wander in on Team Morgan all by himself and hopefully not just get shot. And maybe Some kind on. of minigun, I bet. <laughs> Strapped to his body somehow? Somehow, or, you know, mounted to some a shopping cart or something. Ooh, a shopping cart minigun. Yeah. That would be cool. <laughs> yeah. It's very practical. You can carry all your stuff in it. And, and blow people away. And you have a minigun. And you have a minigun. I like it. James from Pittsburgh writes, My holy crap moment has got to be the decision to let the governor drive back to Woodbury. With everything else going on, you probably don't want a man with no depth perception behind, behind the wheel. That's true. I like that a lot. Oh, people with uh, <laughs> one eye can drive. <laughs> it's still funny. It is funny. But... Hey, uh, Herschel drove drove up in the truck and he's only got one leg so if a man with one uh, leg can drive yes and that's you know entirely possible too i was wondering about that because it's it's his left leg no it's his right leg. it's his right leg that he lost so which we'll, is okay, usually so the leg he's you stepping with. on things with his left leg yeah i guess so now it kind of looked like there was a scene early in the episode where he pulls his pant leg up and it looked like they might have fashioned something to the end of it for driving like a pedal stick uh. But I'm not 100% sure. About he's, that. he's had the leg gone, what, a, a week? Maybe two weeks? You're not putting any kind of stick on that thing to apply pressure. Yeah, but you're also probably not getting up and walking anywhere in that time period. No, so I'm, if he can do that, maybe wrong. they can put a, a driving he stick. He can drive with his left foot. There's no like divider down there that's going to prevent you from stepping on something with your left foot. Have you ever tried doing that, using the gas and brake with your left foot? I When I first started to drive, I did uh, two feet. You did two foot driving, really? Yeah. Well, I was used to. The problem was that uh, I was, you know, I was a drummer, and I was both used to using both my feet for different things. Yeah, right. So it would just it was a natural thing for me. But have you ever tried going left foot only? No, I haven't done that because that is hard. Well, I'm, I mean, I'm it's sure it it's be. unusual, anyways. I might try that. I'll try that. I'll give that a shot. It it uh, I I haven't done it anywhere that it's not safe to try, but well, it yeah. is very strange. Uh, I think uh, well, Rihanna from Chicago and a lot of other people sent this one in, including Jason in Missouri. But Rihanna said, I have one holy crap. Did you see that from last night's episode? The scene around the silos when Martinez hit that zombie on the side of the head with the bat and a string of goo stretched between the silo and the bat. Oh, man, was that gross but awesome. Icky, icky. Certainly the best gore moment of this episode. Kristen from North Carolina writes, Love Daryl and Martinez's bonding moment. After killing a few zombies, they share cigarettes that they found on a walker. 
That may qualify as my holy crap, did you see that moment? Wouldn't the cigarettes have a slightly corpsey taste? Oh, they would be way wicked stale. Like this, you know, they, this cigarette pack of cigarettes might have been a year old and survived a winter. Uh, they would have just tasted horrid. Yeah, I, it would have been very bad. And I've never been a smoker, so I don't know what cigarettes taste like, but cigarettes from a corpse that had been sitting there for, yeah, 12 months or more don't sound that appealing. Oh, that would be very unpleasant to smoke these things. <laughs> but you know what? If that's all you got and you need a cigarette, <clears throat> smokers will smoke worse things, I think. Uh, I'm not sure. No? I, I'm not sure. I, I, you know, being being a smoker, I've smoked stale cigarettes and it's not pleasant former and, smoker you can't, former can't smoker. call your one call yourself one now uh well yeah it's, you quit something like i was addicted to cigarettes and i consider myself an addict and you're always just you know an addict so okay all I'm right a recovering smoker all right uh i still think about it but you're a uh, non-practicing smoker. non-practicing smoker but uh i've smoked stale cigarettes and it's horrid horrid thing and what, even worse than that is accidentally lighting it by the filter because <laughs> you don't get that taste out of your mouth. And so having to smoke uh, you know, cigarettes coming out of a zombie's pocket that has been exposed to the elements for God knows how long, uh, you know, wet and dried out, wet and dried out, wet and dried out, and you know, rotting meat around it all over the place. These would be very unpleasant it's, cigarettes. It's just sounding worse and worse yeah. when you talk about it like that. I wouldn't smoke them. No, I... and especially since the fact that uh, they probably haven't smoked in a while, so your body recovers ra- rather quickly from uh, not having smoked. So if you don't smoke for a week and you have a cigarette, it is bad. It tastes horrible. You choke. It uh, it's not good. I wouldn't know, but I'll take your word for yeah. it. Doesn't sound. Uh, anyways, uh, Kristen says they would have a corpsey taste. Yeah, which I think was probably appropriate. Apt. <laughs> Finally, Rich from Vancouver writes, This week, my holy crap, did you see that moment arrived when Milton challenged the governor at the end of the episode by stating, This is a slaughter. A chill ran up my spine when I saw the governor stop cold and turn around. Um, yeah. yeah. Milton finally stood up for himself, and, and there you go. The governor, you know, I don't know. The governor might be losing his sort of power over Milton a little bit. A little bit. That's because he's got a taste of the Herschel. <laughs> should, I, should I be the episode type? I don't know. Taste of the Herschel. <laughs> Could be. <laughs> All right. I have a holy crap. Did you see that moment? And this is, uh, I think this is probably a, a directing decision, Yeah. But it, or, but it relates to the whole story of this episode. And after the negotiating session, when the two men come out and they decide to leave, they get in their cars and if you'll remember at the beginning of the episode, it was a top-down, straight-down, and uh, the motorcycle and um, Herschel and Rick's car drive up. Yep. When the cars are driving away, it's a similar shot, straight-down, top, um, but the cars kind of pass each other, sort of curving, and then go their opposite ways down the yeah. road. And it reminded me of, like, the yin-yang symbol. Oh, that's true. Where, you know, black and white, and they're intertwined, and the cars are almost positioned like that, and then one goes down this way, and the other one curves up this way as they drive off. And that's I thought it was very nice. I thought it was extremely well done, mm-hmm. and it just put a exclamation point on everything we just watched. You know, the differences, yet the similarities of these two groups. Loved it. That That's very nice. I, I This was my favorite episode you know, maybe since the pilot. You're gushing. 
I absolutely am. I think this was fan-freaking-tastic. You got a moment for us? Yeah, it's a little moment. It's when Andrea stabbed that zombie right in the eye, hearkening back to the uh, uh, the RV inspector and just her growth since then, right? So this, uh, when she stabbed him in the eye, it wasn't, she didn't give, you know, a thought. She wasn't scared. She wasn't worried. She was not the timid creature that she was hiding in the RV, but way back when. This was uh, shit-kicking Andrea, kicking some shit. So she's grown a lot, yet she still is a fan of the stab through the eye socket. Yeah, it's a good good way to get to the brain pan if you need to. It's very Especially effective. Especially their soft little heads. Well, yeah, and you got to think the eye socket, you know, would be the absolutely just like butter. Yeah. Warm butter shoving a knife through there. Oh, that feels good. <laughs> that, right through the eye socket. That didn't sound right. <laughs> All righty. Thank you, everyone, for writing in. We love getting your holy crap moments. It's fun to just pick out a little scene or moment from the show that you might not otherwise think of. And, mm. uh, you know, just uh, gives a little bit more depth to every episode, I think. So thank you to everyone who sends those in and writes in and calls in. It is fantastic to know that you're out there. So before we end, let's just remind everyone that the other night, last night, we passed our goal of 10,000 likes sure on did. Facebook. It, it took about half the time that we proposed uh, originally. That's awesome. It's, it's really quite something. It's amazing. We went from 5,500, I think, to 10,000 in four episodes. That's awesome. Or five or very whatever. Exciting. So very, very cool. Um, because of it. We're going to do another live call-in broadcast on Saturday, April the 6th at 5 p.m. Eastern Time. That's 2 p.m. on the West Coast, 10 p.m. in the U.K., and 7 a.m. in Sydney, Australia. So wherever you are, I hope you'll be able to join us, call us. We'll talk about the season. We'll talk about what you loved about it, what you didn't. It'll be great. We'll go on for eight hours. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> we won't go on for eight hours. But we'll uh, we'll keep it going as long as appropriate, and uh, it should be a really, really fun time. Awesome, so awesome, awesome. Look forward to that. Who knows? Maybe we'll even bring in a special guest. Well, we, we, got, we got three, four weeks to pull this together. So uh, We'll see what we can do. We'll now, now, by special guest, do. you mean your wife? Well, maybe. I don't know. I mean, maybe bring the wives on the show. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe we'll we will get Dave. There's you, a few you don't other mean people like, we've you had. You don't mean like Lou Ferrigno or something. Well, if we can get him. You know, why not? You, you come on. Is that the kind of thing you're talking about? Like Lou Ferrigno or Hulk Hogan or uh, something like that? <laughs> Those two guys seem sort of similar to me. <laughs> what? Anyways. They're both, both Hulk? <laughs> yeah, they're both Hulk. <laughs> the Hulk. <laughs> Uh, no, I don't know. We'll, we'll see. I mean, we've had various people on the show. Danny DeVito? Over... That'd be another end of the spectrum? Yeah. Also um, also a good choice, though. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. We'll see. We'll, we'll, we'll think about it a little bit. We'll maybe reach back into the archives, see if somebody wants to come on again, and then uh, hopefully we can pull that off. I don't know how that'll work because we're going to need the Skype for the calls. Anyways, it's all logistics. We'll figure it out. Teller. Get Teller from Penn & Teller. That'd be awesome. Oh, he'll join us for sure. I'm sure, uh, that'd be fantastic. It would, because he we, we, he'll be there. He's always here, actually. <laughs> <laughs> He's been on every show since the beginning. He's here right now. He's here right now, exactly. Uh, <clears throat> all righty. Well, thank you, everyone. If you want to give us a call, you can do so at one eight six six four eight three 483 zomb 9662 We were talking about doing five-star reviews from iTunes, remember? Oh, let's do that. Yeah, I forgot about that. 
Why don't we do that? Did we, you look them up? I did look them up. We have, a, uh, we have a whole lot, though, so I don't think we can get through reading them all. I can just read the names of the people that gave us five-star reviews. When, how many do you think we have there? Uh, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, <laughs> 15, 16. Okay, so more than 15. Yeah, more than 15 in the American store. So we got uh, RG2005. We got uh, JJ in NorCal. Uh, we've got uh, Beef Dude and uh, Buzz Holt. Buzz Holt. Uh, Teresa and Steel Bus Thirty Six, Steel Bus Thirty Six, awesome. With Beef Dude riding on it, Beller Seventeen. This is all good stuff. Pugster Twenty, Metal Messiah Seventy Eight, Doctor Brock. Okay, this you, is all good stuff. You gonna read them all? I don't know. I think that's it. All right. Uh, why don't you pick a couple and and read the comments? We, all right. We, so. we said we would. I forgot, but luckily Jason's here. All right. I Barb. Why is this show not the number one Walking Dead podcast? Entertaining, enthusiastic, fun to listen to. Keep up the good work, guys, from iBarb. Thank you. Uh, that's a nice short one. we got another short one here. Just started listening. Uh, I've caught the last hour and just love you guys. One of the first things I do on Monday mornings. Now keep up it up. Keep it going, eh? Sweet. That's good stuff. Any more? No, that's uh, that's it for now, I think. All right. So so many. That's that's amazing. Um we really appreciate everyone that did that. Uh, yeah, we, we haven't looked in a while. We said last week we would, and luckily Jason is here to remember to do that. Yeah, I'm weird. <laughs> it's weird that I remembered. <laughs> it is kind of strange. <laughs> Good for you, though. Um, leave us leave us comments in the in the iTunes store. That is a fantastic way to sort of make you know iTunes and Apple aware of what we're doing and, and give us a little bit of extra promotion. So if you like what you hear, by all means... Leave us a comment and a review in the iTunes store, and uh, hopefully we'll read your name out on the show. Good stuff. If I can remember. Anyways, yeah. <laughs> we'll see. I'll try and remember. All right, good. Uh, but back to what I was doing, ending the program. Give us a call on the Zombline, 1-866-483-9662. Seems like the people who are big fans of Chris Hardwick and AMC's Talking Dead are starting to get the message. We got far less calls last night. Awesome, awesome. Um, from people who think we're them. I understand. I have the same name. It's very confusing. Uh, but but good. If you want to give us a call, do so. We are on Twitter, at Talking Dead, or on Facebook, at facebook.com slash thetalkingdead. Go over there. Give us a like if you haven't already. And finally, you can email us at talkingdeadpodcast at gmail.com. Send in your feedback, your holy craps, whatever you want in any one of those ways, and uh, we'll do our best to get it on the show if we can. That is fantastic. Thanks for tuning in, everybody, for The Talking Dead. My name is Chris. And my name is Jason. Thanks for listening. Ciao. <laughs> you always whisper that little thing at the end there. Bye.